They were posting some crazy shit like months ago. Uh, Remember that? What the fuck do you have on your face, Olivia? Remember, they lost the Afghan war 10 years ago. (laughs) You brought a freaking guillotine. Remember thinking, man, governments are not going to like this shit. Somebody telling them to stand up for their rights is disinformation. As I said, democracy is a system that reinforces authoritarian ideals. Kind of words. Oh no! Oh, okay, no. I'm fucking livid that we are stuck in the timeline where Alex Jones is right. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, shit posters, activists, and people of the internet, thank you for tuning in to another episode of O'Donnell for Liberty. I am your host, Justin. Before we get started, make sure to hit the subscribe button, turn on notifications to keep up with future content. And if you enjoy the program, you can be an early supporter by heading over to the Patreon link in the description. And if you want to keep in touch between shows, follow me on social media like Twitter and Facebook, or join our community Discord channel. All those links are also in the description. Tonight we're going to be talking about living libertarian, opting out of the state, and how you can help others get around the tyranny in their lives. We're going to take questions, so make sure you hit the like button, leave some comments, tell us what you think in the chat, and give a warm welcome to tonight's guest, former candidate for the Libertarian presidential nomination and activist extraordinaire, Daniel Taxation is Theft Berman. Dan, how's it going? Thanks for joining tonight. Yeah, thanks for putting this together, man. Uh, Good to see you again. It's been a while. I know it's, you got to come back to New Hampshire sometime. Oh, Didn't yeah. <laughs> that at night least... <laughs> at that place that we're not going to speak about. That was fucking. I do want to go back just for that. Oh, well, man. I mean, we yeah. can speak about that place now because it's going public. We're turning it into a national fraternal order, and we're going to start opening up lodges all over the country. Nice. Because like we finally figured out we that if we had about a, that, yeah. Well, we finally got enough support. We got a GoFundMe going to get things off the ground, and we're at about two hundred thousand dollars raised so far. Um, but once we get it off the ground, and once we get enough members in a few different states, we can do things like I don't know, offer health insurance to our members who are self-employed. Nice. <laughs> so, Dan, fucking awesome. I love yeah. it. So I know you. I've been I'll, I'll you supply for a long time. the. Uh, I'll supply the drugs. I got some inhalers. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I followed your work for a long time. I've been a huge fan of your work for a long time. Um, the people familiar with LP Inside Baseball probably have, but for otherwise, and just for like general crypto viewers and people who watch outside of the Libertarian Party, what's your story? Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Oh man, just a guy, just a guy <laughs> trying to trying to live my life. Um, so yeah, I, man, I don't know. I don't even. I never know how to answer that question. I grew up in California, but I'm not a commie. Um, I, I'm I'm a software engineer by trade. I've worked in the the film and video industry um, for for a while when I was a little bit younger. Um, that was kind of really where my where my passion was. Um, and uh, you know, and then I kind of I stumbled on like I, well, but I, I kind of got involved in politics because the government started fucking with me. Um, and, uh, and then it was like, oh, this, this whole system is really screwed up. And then I kind of stumbled on the libertarian party and I was like, oh, these guys are trying to fix it. And then I was kind of like, oh, these guys aren't doing that great of a job. <laughs> let me, me kind of go my own way and see, see what I can do to, to help make the world a little bit free. Um, I, and I don't, I don't want to knock on the LP too much because you know, there's, I mean, it's, it's a bunch of different people pulling it in different directions, but I think there's some really awesome people in there doing some really awesome things too. So um, and I think we can all realize like the LP doesn't do the greatest job, but like there's no other really, there's no other organization really doing a job. Right. 
But this is the thing too. Like, like as libertarians, we're always talking about how central planning sucks and we shouldn't rely on the government to do everything. But then we like rely on the LP at, to do what we know the government can't do instead of just saying, hey, right. let's all like split up, do whatever we think is best and let the market decide and whatever works is going to work. And then like other people will see our success and they'll come along and help us. And the LP should basically just, just, you know, put all the different stuff in front of people and say, hey, this is all the stuff going on. Go support it. Instead of saying like, you know, let's elect the perfect LNC who's going to like <laughs> be the perfect steward of all the money that we donate to it. And they're going to do exactly what we want it to do. Because like that's that's exactly what we say doesn't work with the government. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen it at least come to height and come to like the real forefront of visibility with libertarian politics and the liberty movement in general, just kind of people feeling down on the LP with how the LNC and the national committee has been treating COVID uh, and how long it's taken them to have any stance on like the biggest infringement on Liberty in our lifetimes. Yeah. And it took them so long to have anything to say. Yeah, it, it was, I mean, like I remember when this thing first started um, popping up, it was like um, LP, Texas, LP national, like they were just really, and I, I mean, I get it because at that point, like nobody really knew what it was. Nobody really knew. I mean, there were some people saying, oh, it's it's a scam. The virus doesn't exist. And then some people were like, oh, I don't know. This could be really bad. And we didn't really know because we're all getting like all this bullshit information from the government who's not giving us a straight story. Um, so I, I get it. Some people were kind of afraid, but they kind of like leaned to the side of let's be overly cautious. And, you know, we're not giving up our freedoms. We're just not exercising them right now. Um, because <laughs> you know, cat wants to join. <laughs> she always wants to join. The cat is an attention whore. Um, she came out of her shell when I brought her to Pork Fest. Everyone thought I was crazy. Like, you're gonna bring your kitten to Pork Fest? I'm like, yeah, everyone loved her at Pork Fest. Um, nice. so now she can't get enough of the camera and can't get enough of being in front of people. Um, liberty. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but, but to that point, like. The whole where we don't want to give up our freedoms, we're just not exercising them. But for the longest time, it's been the whole argument of Second Amendment activists who uh, advocate for open carry and even concealed carry and the protests that they do hold against gun infringements is like, if you don't exercise your rights, you lose them. You've given them up. Right. Exactly. And and here's a perfect example, too, because like I remember, you know, people were people were legit scared um, and like the the. There was like when this was all going down, everybody's just kind of like hiding in their homes, you know, stay home, save lives. And there was a and I was like telling people like, you know, this isn't right. Let's let's at least go. Let's do a protest. Right. Let's let's go to your we'll, we'll pick a day. We'll all go to our city halls and we'll protest. And everyone's like, oh, but we're going to be outside and we're going to get sick. And I'm like, stay in your car. Make it make it a drive by protest. Like this is like literally the plan I'm proposing. And all these libertarians are like, oh, you're crazy. And they're telling me how like the, the virus can get in through your air filter and like get into your car. And like this is like the shit they're coming up with. And like everyone's like, no, it's a terrible idea. And then like a couple weeks later, you see all the Trumpsters are out there and they actually did that. They went out and they had a protest. And of course, they weren't staying. Well, a lot of them were staying in their cars um, and, and like but it's like. You know, and I'm like, look, this is this could have been our thing. Like, this was all over the news. That could have been our thing as libertarians. And everybody's like, oh, but all the Trumpsters would have shown up, and and this is and it's really bad. All those people are bad. Like, all these like excuses coming out of libertarians as to why that shouldn't have been been us, why we shouldn't have gone out there. There was a uh, this was the one where they said like 
there were so many cars that there was there were ambulances trying to get into the hospital, which turned out to be a total fucking lie. The ambulances <laughs> couldn't get into the hospital because the, the cars were blocking trade. You remember this? It, like, it's the same thing going on right now with ivermectin patients taking up beds that uh, and gunshot victims are going untreated. Exactly. <laughs> total bullshit. And I'm like, and like before we knew that was bullshit, like I was sitting there like, guys. If the libertarians were out there, we could have been the ones directing traffic to make sure that the ambulances can get into the hospital instead of like just all these crazy Trumpsters out. And we could have been like out there getting our own footage and doing our own thing. And like the pushback was just like, no, that's a terrible idea. We want to cower in our closets and, and not go outside and stay home, stay safe. And Dude, I'm like, I, I remember like I was trying to run the petition drive in New Hampshire. I was trying to like every single day get petitions to get libertarians on the ballot, to get Joe Jorgensen on the ballot, to get myself on the ballot, Daryl Perry on the ballot, and other candidates that were trying to provide an alternative to the two-party system here in New Hampshire. And it was the hardest petition drive we've ever done because people were afraid to talk to you. People wouldn't like trying to engage people outside of a supermarket. They're all standoffish and nobody would come within six feet of you. And I remember when I was in court, when we sued the state over the regulations, I said to the judge, like when I was being cross-examined, I'm like, it's not so much the regulations that have made this hard. It's been the fear mongering and the propaganda from the state that have made people afraid to engage with their fellow human beings. And, the, but the few of us who weren't the few people who didn't want to go, like they had, anti-lockdown protests on an incredibly regular basis here in new hampshire an organization called reopen new hampshire sprang out of nowhere and it was a nonpartisan organization it was there was a lot of trumpers involved but there was a lot of libertarians involved most free staters were involved a lot of democrats who were against the lockdowns were involved um and they held regular mass gathering protests outside the state house outside the governor's home uh, on the seacoast uh demanding that the lockdowns be ended and the state be opened up and a lot of people when it came to doing things outside didn't want to wear masks because whatever their reason they didn't want to wear a mask that's their personal goddamn choice in my opinion they shouldn't have to wear a mask uh for me it's issues i have with breathing restriction due to time in the military and things that have not so great with my body since then and for others it was ptsd about restraints or just simply because they didn't want to. That was a perfectly sufficient reason, in my opinion. I remember going to a protest with Joe Jorgensen in Manchester, New Hampshire, and a picture went viral of everyone standing around at this protest. It was a candlelight vigil for Black Lives Matter, and the only two people not wearing masks were myself and Joe Jorgensen. And libertarians tried to cancel us. Yeah. It, it yeah. was people like the Sarwark crowd, the Leslie Ann Petersons, the outright libertarians, like the woke left of the Libertarian Party demanding that like we have to apologize and go back and that we were a disgrace to the party for not wearing masks. Yeah, it's I mean, it, it is really difficult. Um, I mean, we're dealing with like I, I say this all the time. Ultimately, like we're emotional creatures, like as, as much as like we can sit down and have an intellectual conversation and like we're we're a small crowd amongst the general population. But um, even then it's like, it's, it's like among us, we still have our own triggers and our own fears. And like, you know, as, as much as we can have a philosophical conversation, when, when something, when the government says something that really scares us and when everybody's believing it, like it, it can still get to us. It can still affect us. Um, so, so like I get it, but at the same time, it's like, you kind of have to like, 
you know, you kind of have to face your fears and, and, and at some point and decide like, okay, look, I get it. Maybe there's a legit fear out there, but sometimes we have to just look that fear in the face and say like, we're, we're not going to let this happen. We're not going to let, you know, we're, we're not going to let this tragedy become the excuse for you to take all our rights away. Um, or excuse me, they can't take our rights away. They can trample them. Um, as I used to tell David Hogg before he blocked me on Twitter, being a victim of a public, being a victim of a tragedy doesn't make you an expert in public policy. Um, and I think that extends further, like being exposed to tragic circumstances doesn't make you an expert in like the policy on how others should live their lives. And I think that is what we're seeing is people are so afraid of the unknown and the government has not helped because the government has been the source of most of the propaganda instigating the fear and instigating uh, uncertainty about the unknown that people have just been willing to roll over and sacrifice their principles at, for the sake of their own safety. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and it, it's, it's difficult too, because like even, I mean, like at, at some point you have like, I don't know, you just, you, you have miscommunication, you have like, things like people always escalating things, you know, rumors spreading. And it's like, it's like, you can almost look at this thing and it's totally plausible that like someone, someone like, you know, someone was just like, Oh, there's a new virus. And then they're like, let's be careful about this. And then like the story leaks. And then like, you know, somebody else is like, Oh, I heard. And then like it escalates and escalates. And the next thing you know, you have all these people who are paranoid and it doesn't even necessarily need to be like, you know, one guy, you know, hanging out at the Illuminati palace saying like, you know, Hey, we, we're, we're going to make everybody afraid of this. And we're going to start this big propaganda campaign. It's very possible for that kind of stuff to happen organically too. Um, which is scary, but it's like that all, that all happens like from our fears. I mean, it's like the, it's like the stock market, right? Like some whale comes in and sells his stock and like, you know, something goes down a couple points and everybody starts panic selling right now. The whole fucking market is crashing. And it's like, Nothing actually happened, just like people got afraid because there was a small little ripple in the water and they made the wave bigger. Um, and, and it's like, it's it's kind of like the more connected we are to like all this crap that's going on, the more that affects us. Like, you know, they say like, why why aren't the Amish afraid of, of COVID? Because they don't have TVs. Like, right. <laughs> I mean, like, so, and then especially like social media, right? It's like, oh my God, all of our friends, right? Because that's one of the most powerful influencers, right? Is, um, there's a word for it social i don't know it's like when everybody around you is like doing something it's like you must kind of be like you have this herd mentality that you have to conform to what everybody else is doing and like they use this in advertising and marketing right they like oh everybody's doing it therefore you should buy our product right everybody loves this um nine out of ten doctors say you know like everybody's doing it oh i have to do it so like so when you see like, you know, some shit comes out on the news and then all of your friends are reposting it on social media, it's like, oh shit, all my friends, all my friends believe this. It must be true. It kind of like adds in to like support this. And, and like, you know, I get it. Like some of us are just kind of like, yeah, I don't believe any shit that comes out of, out of, out of the mainstream media until like, it's actually like proven and verified somewhere else. Cause most of the stuff they say is just complete crap. But until you reach that point, it's like, yeah, I know politicians lie to us and I know the news is is fake to some degree, but I mean, there's a virus. You can't deny that there's a virus, right? And it's like you have like so you have like these little building blocks that you can't deny and it's like everything kind of escalates on top of that and just like reinforces this like mesh of like a fear network that like keeps everybody panicking and like 
and like escalating things. It's crazy. Well, a, a friend of mine pointed out today, actually on Facebook, weird enough place to see it. I saw her post where um, she pointed out like up until now, like if you if I'd believe the media, I would have thought the anti-vax movement, people who are against mandatory vaccinations, was just like ten to fifteen percent of the country, and it was just like a fringe movement. Uh, but then Biden went on TV yesterday and admitted that it's forty-seven percent of the country that's unvaccinated. Um, so, like, this this really is a case of like a very large minority. It's it's it is a minority versus majority thing in. The government is using propaganda. They are using fear. They use using media. They are using social media. You mentioned how the Amish aren't afraid because they're not exposed to the media. Uh, when I was on the Tower Gang show the other night, I had gone on a rant and somebody's like, so what do you feel about the Amish? I'm like, they're privileged fucks. The Amish are privileged fucks because they're not bombarded by propaganda 24-7. And unfortunately, we can opt out all we want. Like, if you want to leave Facebook and go to another platform, there's still propaganda on that platform. It's just of a different flavor. The Like, people who are truly disconnected, the agorists and the, the communes, they're the only ones who are safe from it. Yeah. It's it's interesting too because like I uh, like um uh, like I'm noticing a lot of this in Mexico like like you know like okay you go to a CVS in the US right what do they have they have TVs with like fucking like the shit going on in the corner right you go to like any airport and they have the news on and it's CNN and it's like all the fear mongering yep. it's like even the airports in Mexico like they don't have that shit like if they do it's like you know it's it's the local news it's like the weather and like you know the police busted some drug dealer like you know some local shit the things um, that matter <laughs> yeah but they don't have like this they don't have the whole like national national news network stay home save lives you know the virus is everywhere don't leave your house and and i think that's really interesting because like you can see how that really does affect the mentality of people in a society as like you know this is like this is like you know we we are water and they are injecting just like, uh, you know, some sort of like um, chemical into the water through media. Like this is how it works. It goes. It's just sound waves. It's just light beams coming out of the TV. But it goes into our minds and it's in the form of ideas. And it actually does shape our brains. And people say, oh, there's no such thing as mind control and like x-rays in the sky. and everything. Yeah, no, it's not x-rays in the sky or anything like that. It's the messages that you hear over and over and over again it is literally programming this is the mind control it's not science fiction it's you know we like it's like training your dog except at a much higher much more complicated level that's what they're doing to us with these messages um they're they're training us to respond certain ways they're training us to obey everything that they say um you know this this is what they're doing and they start at like such a young age because what do you have like the, the, you have this public education system where it's centralized. The, the, the like one office in Washington D.C. gets to dictate what every kid in America yep. is going to learn from the time they're you know they're one year old to like whenever they graduate um, and beyond. They're controlling all of that. They're making us pledge allegiance to the flag. They're telling us America is the greatest military force and we keep peace around the world and like all this like total bullshit. Um, and it's like, yeah, some of the stuff when you when you learn it's false, it's like it's like, holy shit, they lied to me. Like, you know, like uh, like they used, to, they used to tell us in the D.A.R.E. program, like even if a gun is empty, it could go off. Be dangerous. You know, it's dangerous. <laughs> uh, if, if you're ever arrested, don't ask for a lawyer because it makes you look guilty. Like right. crazy. Like what? Like it's, it's absolutely nonsense. And like but sometimes you forget about it, but it's still like 
it's still kind of like in your programming. It's in your training. It's it's how you respond to certain situations without thinking. And then you don't even know where you learned that because it's like so far back in your memory. Yeah, I I um, there's a lot of people like who like to make comparisons to the world we live in today to like great works of fiction like 1984. Everyone's just like, oh, this is the dystopia. 1984 wasn't an instruction manual. Um, I think 1984 was an instruction manual. I think Brave New World was an instruction manual. I think they've become self-fulfilling prophecies uh, that the people in power and people in state apparatus have, whether or not they're intentionally or consciously doing it, are implementing the policies from these great works of dystopian fiction to control a populace because what was described was effective. And one of the realizations I had, and there was no comic that went around a long ago that really pointed this out to me, um, but I was arguing with some friends last night and we were debating about like Huxley versus Orwell, Brave New World versus 1984, which one's more realistic, which one's the future we're going to live in. And I came to like the point, the argument I made was, well, Orwell in 1984 predicted a future where people would be controlled by fear and propaganda and force and control of the narrative. But Huxley in Brave New World predicted a dystopian future where people would be controlled by just access to all the information on the world, mass media, and given everything they loved and pacified the bread and circus future. And the scariest part to me is that the world we're in right now, both of those are true. Right. Like the government is using fear and propaganda and language control and uh, narrative control but at the same time, feeding people information or misinformation or disinformation and entertainment to keep them pacified or monthly checks to keep them from rising up. Um, and it, it's a real, real strange. Like, I, I would love, if I had a time machine, I'd love to get like Huxley and Orwell in the same room together and explain to them that they were both right. <laughs> right. It's, it's interesting too, because like, like, um you know uh what was it it was oh it was the australians right so the australian um media you know like the 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 government doesn't like even the the mainstream media filming them doing anything unless it's like in their favor right right so the australian government brought mainstream media into those detention camps that they have excuse me um uh what do they call them uh fuck i don't know um isolation camps, whatever, um, quarantine camps, um, detention camps. And so like, they're like, the, the news is going around and they're saying like, oh yeah, look how great it is. And like, everybody's got a house and like, they're being treated so well. And, you know, and it's like, what they've done is so like, they've learned, right. They've learned, you could try to hide this, right. Like Guantanamo Bay, they tried to hide it. Right. They tried to like, pretend like it didn't exist. Um, but like they've learned throughout history that like, oh no, no, no. What you do is you make it public and you just convince <laughs> everyone it's a good thing. Because then, like, there's, like, oh, yeah, did you know Guantanamo exists? And, like, you know, for a while, everyone's going to be like, no, no, that's bullshit. And then when it finally does come out, it's like, oh, my God. And then people are, you know, and then you have Congress and, oh, we need to shut this place down. But if you convince everyone it's a good thing. So now you have literal, literal concentration camps in Australia and the government's going around saying, look at how amazing this is. This is a great thing. This is good for every, it's going to help us get healthy. It's going to help us get back to normal, blah, blah, blah. All this stuff. This is, this is like, this is the new spin that they're doing. Did you see the news about the app? Uh, The app they're pushing out in South Australia. And it's like, it's like, what if you don't have like, 
Like my phone's so like <laughs> one of my phones fucking died. I'm on this burner right now, and it's so fucking slow. Like I I can't download like I can't download the weather app to save my life. Like it's terrible. Um, and, and it's like what happens? And and I actually because I I used to make this argument in the United States a lot. Like you know oh you need an address to um you need an address to get a job to pay taxes you know to do this and that to vote. Like homeless people can't vote. Homeless people can't run for office because you have to put in an address of your district, right? Um, like what? And then I, I was I was explaining this to an Australian, and they're like, "Well, in Australia, it's illegal to be homeless." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> it is like, in the United I, States too. In a lot of jurisdictions, it's a criminalized it's a criminalized thing to be homeless is criminal. Like to, to yeah, not have like a legal address. In your car that's a crime. Sleep on a sleep in sleep in the park that's a crime. Yeah, but if you can just disappear out of sight. That's fine. Apparently in Australia, like they they will find you and like force you somehow into like, um, you know, some sort of like, um, I don't know, like a halfway house or something. And like they like force you to like, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's fucking nuts. I don't know the details on it exactly, but it's, it's just like it's fucking insane. But like so so on that, right, I'm watching this show like because I'm like, I know I'm fucking terrible. I'm like binge watching on Netflix. <laughs> um, but there's a show called Blacklist, right? And it's one of these shows. It's like this, like you know, crime detective kind of thing. And it's like it's it's pretty good. Um, but like what they're doing is there's it, it's the same kind of thing. Like you used to have like the cop shows where like the cops break all the rules, but it's okay because it's to bust this dirty drug dealer. And like it's nest. And it what they're doing is they're conditioning you to think it's okay to break to to violate the constitution because these are good guys, and ultimately they're right. doing it for good things. And so this show uh, Blacklist is like there's the FBI working out of a black site and they're basically like, you know, connecting with the CIA and the NSA and they're tapping all these phone lines and they're doing all this like illegal shit that they're supposed to do. But they're catching really bad criminals. And so like the moral of this and they even went to they even went to a court and like they had this like big fight in a court about, you know, because uh, because one of the one of the fbi agents was involved in a murder that one of the like local police caught up on and they were investigating and they were trying to bring a case out of it and basically they said oh we're not going to allow you to investigate this murder the a federal like a big ass federal court came in and said it's a matter of national security because the fbi is involved you're not investigating this murder any longer and it's like and it's like this is becoming normal and it's like the reality of the fact that like that could happen now like that's the kind of shit we're living in where it's like, oh yeah, national security. Sorry, you can't investigate a murder. Um, like that's that's kind of the reality of what we're getting to. And we don't we mostly don't see that kind of stuff because like, you know, we're busy worried about how many masks we should wear. Um, but it's like that stuff is always going on. It's it's absolutely insane. Like there's there's absolute tyranny, and it's like we're just over here looking at like, you know, the other thing that they want us to look at. So, like, how do we stop the tyranny? How do how do we like actually yeah. fight back against it? You ran for president. What would you have actually been able to do running for president when like federal agencies like the FBI, CIA, NSA generally operate autonomously? The courts tend to support whatever the government is doing. We see bad ruling after bad ruling used to justify future bad rulings. Um, like what 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 can libertarians who do engage in politics? I've run for Congress, I've run for Senate, you ran for president. Like, what are we doing? What's actually the end goal there? Like, how could we actually make a change there? So I think there's a lot. One is like we have to recognize that, you know, all of this feeds off of us. Like we give it that power. We fund it like we pay for all this stuff to happen. And so 
Um, you know, one thing I advocate for people to do is stop paying taxes or to find a way to stop paying taxes um, because that cuts them off. Now, of course, everybody says, well, it doesn't matter. Even when you stop paying taxes, they're going to keep printing money. Yeah, but if you stop using their money, they can print as much as they want. It becomes worthless and like it's it's just going to go away. It's like they're not even going to be able to use it. Um, so Buy Bitcoin. They're, they're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, th there are things that, that we can do in that nature. Um, but the other thing too is like, this is one of the things I've been working on, which is which is like, yeah, let's let's focus on the elections, but let's let's not focus as much. Let's focus on um, on on shifting the narrative. Let's let's focus on shifting what people think and what they want. Right. Because ultimately, like you look at all these people and they have real problems, like even the Bernie Sanders socialists. Right. They're, they're pointing out real problems. Um, like, yeah, if, if you live in a in a situation where like the only job you can get is minimum wage. Um, you don't have someone to like take care of your, your kids while you go to school so you can get a better job. That's not the situation you're in. Um, and you still got to pay your rent and like, like whatever, like you got, you got past debt, uh, you know, all this stuff. There are a lot of people in really bad situations. Um, and then on top of that, you've got, you've got the healthcare thing, right? There are a lot of people who are sick and they're worried about like, Oh, I got to take care of my grandma. They want $500,000 for her, for her heart medication. Like, you know, all this stuff is going on. These are two very, very serious issues. And, what libertarians tend to say is like, well, go get a job like everybody else, right? Or, you know, <laughs> let the free market do it. And it's like, okay, let, let's let's forget about that for a minute. Let's address the fact that these are people who are really pissed off about real issues in their lives. And let's let's figure out a way to propose to them, hey, we can actually solve those problems. And but you know, these politicians, they're they're giving you like bullshit, right? This 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 Medicare for all, that's never gonna work. But let me show you a solution that will work, that will get you affordable health care, that will make sure that you can pay your bills, that make sure that you can have a house. You can own a house, right? Stop renting. Actually own a house. Start saving money so that, you know, when shit happens, when like, you know, another virus comes along and you, and you have to like quit your job for, for, for five years, whatever, um, like you have money saved. You have a, a, a safety net of your own and you're not depending on the government because how many times has the government come along and said, oh, well, we might not make Social Security this month. <laughs> um, and, and so like when you, when you propose these things, they're like, okay, I'm listening. And you know, there's, there's like a handful of things that I've proposed already. Um, like, uh, you know, let's eliminate property tax on the condition that if, if, um, if you own a house and somebody's renting it, you have to pass the savings down to them. So now we're getting rid of property tax and we're reducing the cost of rent win-win for both the left and the right. Right. So like you come up with all these different things. And then we, then we talk about like smuggling insulin in from Mexico. Why is it that insulin is 88% cheaper in Mexico and Canada um, than it is in the United States? Intellectual property laws. <laughs> exactly. Well, and 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 um, uh, importation laws and like yep. medical, yeah, lots of shit, right? That's actually one of my like out? bread and butter issues. That's that's one of my like cream of the crop, like pisses me off issues. And the, I can't, a lot of libertarians don't recognize the problems like with healthcare in this country. And they always come to say, oh, the market will provide, the market will provide, the market will provide. I'm like, the market got us where we are because we have a system of government that allows the market to buy government. Uh, so <laughs> exactly. Until, until exactly. we get rid of the ability for corporations to purchase government legislation, the market will never fucking provide. Uh, I work in insurance consulting. I work in plan design. I work in risk mitigation for insurance companies. Um, and I did a lot of work in the past with Medicare specifically, and specifically helping Medicare beneficiaries try and navigate the problems. And there was a point a few years ago where, like, I, I had worked with 
uh, an insurance company for a low income program to help people who are on Medicare actually afford their insulin because it was fucking asinine that it cost $640 for a 38 cent vial of insulin. Um, and put together a program where they had a slight of scale. If you, if somebody could prove that they financially could not afford the insurance that covered that insulin, we had a coupon to just give them and they could get the insulin for $5. No problem. And, um, there were so many rules. I ended up getting in a lot of trouble because I got in a fight with Alexandria Ocasio-Ortez on Twitter. And because she was going on about how the pharmaceutical companies are evil and they're the devil and they're trying to charge people all this amount of money uh, and the insurance companies are just making it worse. I'm like, actually, like a lot of people in the pharmaceutical industry are trying to help. It's just the laws are in place to prevent us from doing this in mass. And she's like, you're lying. I'm like, okay, here's the coupon. And I just published it on Twitter and her replies. And 40,000 people redeemed that coupon in two weeks. Um, but like, it, it was a lot of her fans who got like, a, I'm like, here's a coupon from the pharmaceutical company for your free insulin. Like she's telling you that it costs so much because of like human greed. No, the reason it costs so much is because Medicare negotiated the price. The federal government negotiated the price that all insurance companies have to off obligate. Right. But I, 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 like, I, I don't want to say that's not greed because that is greed. It's just that it's it's greed in the government as well. It's not right. just like greedy corporations. Like that's that's the thing I point about point out with the insulin in Mexico and Canada. Like these are the same brands that sell in the U.S. for 100 that sell like for one pen. It's 100 bucks in the U.S. It's 12 bucks in Mexico and Canada. Same brand. And it's like these corporations are just as greedy in Mexico and Canada as they are in the U.S., What's the real difference? And it is, it's that it's, it's the, the government and the laws and, and, you know, the bureaucracy and the bullshit and, 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 and everything. I just found out inhalers are like, they're, they're closer to like 95% less. They're like, they're like three or five bucks in Mexico and they're like 80 bucks in the U S like asthma inhalers. Yeah. It, and that's the other thing, even in the U S a lot of like these drugs aren't as expensive as you see the list price on. And like one of the things I did when talking to Medicare patients in the past was tell them like, like what you're seeing, the prices you're seeing, that's what the government negotiated for these prices. But like the cash pay price is actually so much lower if you go in, but there, but guess what? There's a law that prohibits the pharmacist from telling you about the cash pay discount. You have to go in and specifically request it with an RXBIN number. Um, here's this app you can download that'll give you those numbers. And it's like, like, oh, the copay for your inhaler is $47. It costs $18 cash. Wow. That's like, that's something I've noticed. And like, I, I had no idea why, but like, I, I have noticed, you know, in the past when I go to a pharmacy, like, uh, aside from the ridiculous shit that like, they would ask me for a copy of my passport and like my address <laughs> to make sure I'm not making meth. Like, for some reason, giving right. them my address is going to make sure I'm not making meth. And like, you know, so I give them a fake address anyways, because fuck those guys. But like, but like I ask questions like that, like, how much does this cost if I just wanted to pay cash? And, and they're just like, well, we can't. Like, you know, or like how much does such and such cost? Well, we have to see your insurance first to put it in the system. And what? it's like, I just want to know, like, what's like, like, if you just take it off the shelf and run the barcode, what does it say? And it's like, they won't do that. Right. And, and it's the app and the website to tell people all the information is out there for free. 
And I tell them it's goodrx.com and they have an app that people can download. It's just a good RX app. You type in the, the prescription you're looking for in your zip code and it'll bring up all the cash prices at the local pharmacies and a lot of drugs. It doesn't save you money on a lot of drugs. Insurance will save you money on because the insurance companies like are actually saving you money off what the drug company wants to charge to make money for their research and development and distribution. But a lot of the old generic stuff that's been around forever, albuterol inhalers, insulin that's been on the market for a hundred years that like there's no reason it costs as much as it does other than the fact that government has restricted its availability good rx can get you like 90 percent discounts nice i'm gonna i'm gonna check that out um, and it's still cheaper in mexico and it's still cheaper in canada but like for somebody in nebraska who can't make that drive <laughs> um well, it, it's a good tool to have you know, back to that question you were asking, like, what can people do? I've, I've been encouraging people to, to become a drug smuggler. Like, you know, like, I mean, there, there are like millions of people who come to Mexico every year to vacation. And it's like, ask your friends, like, hey, do you guys need any medication yep. while I'm there? Because um, a lot of them you don't like, like insulin, you don't even need a prescription. Because, um, you know, some, somehow the U.S. has convinced us like, well, if we didn't have prescriptions on insulin, kids would be like doping up at school in the, in the, you know, in, in the bathrooms on insulin <laughs> and like, that, that's what they've convinced. How is that enjoyable? Right? Yeah, no. And it's like, well, Mexico doesn't have, um, doesn't have a requirement and they don't have an issue with people overdosing on insulin. Like, so you don't in the United States either. There's a way around that. Even in the United States, you go to Walmart, you tell them you need insulin for your dog and they hand it to you over the counter and it costs about 80% less than human insulin even though it is literally an identical drug made by the same company but that's like horse paste man it's the, so actually to that point to the ivermectin point and the horse paste point um i have i think a lot more knowledge about the pharmaceutical industry than most libertarians um and like it blows my mind to see people saying like the horse paste argument sure ivermectin is a drug that's been on the market for decades it there was literally a nobel prize one for human use of ivermectin as an antiviral and antiparasitic drug but you go to the to the nih website they even yeah. call it there they say it's a close contender for like a wonder drug like a yeah. penicillin and like <laughs> like they say it themselves it's fda approved for right. human use but the dumbasses who are going to Tractor Supply and buying the horse to warmer ivermectin are actual dumbasses because it is a different formulation and there's a lot of other ingredients in that horse paste right. and the dosage is for a 1,200-pound horse, not a 200-pound human being. Um, and like they, there are some potential negative side effects to taking large amounts of it. Uh, it, it eats away stomach lining. Um, and it can cause a lot of digestive issues long-term for people who take large amounts of ivermectin. Um, but guess what? Your local Rite Aid and CVS has it in human formulation in a pill. Right. But they won't give it to you because of the government. Uh, it's like, <laughs> is there a way around that <laughs> yeah you just get a you, it's not hard to get a prescription joe rogan got a prescription alex jones got a prescription right there's is plenty it, of doctors out it, there that'll write those prescriptions i think that's been one of the that's been one of the hard things is like and i yeah. saw this with um hydroxychloroquine like people mm -hmm. you know people people would get sick um with the rona and they'd be running around saying like oh does anybody know any doctors that would give me a prescription for this or that because a lot of them won't because they're afraid of you know what's going to happen yeah i want to call out one particular doctor here by name kyle varner 
Um, Kyle Varner has kind of been leading the charge as libertarians, uh, like lambasting people with like mass craziness and COVID propaganda. And he's gone like full COVID crazy. Um, and he's been leading the charge with against ivermectin use and telling people that ivermectin is terrible and the hydroxychloroquine is fucking awful. Nobody should do it. You should take the vaccine, take the vaccine, take the vaccine. I remember his Facebook posts early on in this pandemic where he was bragging about writing himself a prescription for hydroxychloroquine and offering to write prescriptions for hydroxychloroquine for his friends. Interesting. Like, I mean, he... this is like, this is another thing, too, because, like, I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for him, you know, for, for a lot of other stuff. Um, I do, too. I've known him for years, and he's like, he's one of the most dedicated libertarian activists that I've ever known. Right. It's just for some reason, I, COVID so, made him so crazy. What I want to say about that is, like, to, to flip on that, like, like right. something like something happened like like it's the same thing right like he was he was like he was just totally like based philosophical like yeah this is bullshit here's some stuff that works and something flipped something hit him where he like he flipped and took the total opposite right. it's not like he's just like oh i'm gonna be a flip-flopping liar right like it, it's that right. like something emotional got to him i'm sure and it's like it could just be the propaganda like finally he heard it enough times who knows maybe he was threatened because he's a doctor and he's got a license to worry about who the fuck knows, man? Um, it's like that's a, that is a weird that is a weird flip. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. It's a flip we've seen. Like, I I, I did a show with a Democrat, a former Democratic candidate for Congress in Portland, Oregon, the other night, and like me and her were talking about like how she's come along, how she's progressed, and how she's just become more anti-authoritarian. And like when I had mentioned that I think COVID is really like heightening the political partisan divide, and it's become a weird partisan issue. She was the one who said, I don't think the partisan issue is right-left anymore. I think the new partisan line is authoritarian and anti-authoritarian. And that's why you're seeing COVID fall along partisan lines. It's it's no longer Republican and Democrat. It's authoritarian and anti-authoritarian. And that's what pushed her out of the Democratic Party. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I think that's true. And I mean, it, it's funny because... You look at like most, you know, we used to say like, yeah, both Democrats and Republicans are authoritarian. And if if there are enough of them that are becoming anti-authoritarian to the, to the point where like that's the new divide, then it's like, hey, maybe the libertarians are doing a great job. Well, at the same time, we're seeing the divide in the libertarian party. That's true, too. Like the libertarian party and the liberty movement is seeing a divide. It's not as pronounced as the rest of the world. It's certainly not a 47 to 53 percent uh, ratio across the country. But it's, you see a small minority of people within the liberty movement and the libertarian party who have gone full regime, who have gone for vaccine mandates. And unfortunately, they seem to be the ones with the reach and the profiles and um, the resumes to back up and the positions of authority within the liberty movement or like Cato. A, a, a adjunct scholar from Cato went on the news to talk about how the libertarian position was to mandate vaccination. Reason magazine uh, published an article about how libertarians should support um, lockdowns. Like, blows my mind because these are the higher profile libertarians yeah, um, that like, have been giving up on their principles. They're, yeah, they're because I mean those aren't like those those guys weren't really ever on the fence those guys were like both usually pretty strong in favor of liberty um i mean like when the nsa right. stuff was coming out um you know the the snowden stuff like they were all like very very anti-nsa pro-liberty um and like now it's like with this it's it is totally totally different um and it's it's 
you know, it's an interesting question too, because we're all hypocrites, right? Um, <laughs> like a, a hypothetical question you can ask a libertarian is, okay, let's say there was like a really, really bad virus. And let's say it was like, you know, as bad as things could possibly be, where if you went outside, um, you know, like if you got it literally within 15 feet of somebody else, you could potentially die. Um, but there is, there is a magic pill you could take that would make you immune forever. Like, you know, and I, I know it's like totally hypothetical and people hate even talking about hypotheticals, but if that were the hypothetical situation, would it be okay to force somebody to take a medication? Because basically this person could walk within 15 feet of you and kill you. They're basically a walking weapon. And at what point do you say like, Hey, this guy doesn't want to take the, the medication. And it's like, yeah, you could, you could like, I think there is a breaking point where like you could set up the situation where like no reasonable person was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That guy getting within 15 feet, that's violating the nap. And like, you know, see, I, I refuse to use, I refuse to use the argumentation that no reasonable person, no reasonable person, because once you've accepted no reasonable person as a valid metric in measuring an argument, you have gone down the route of declaring anyone who disagrees with you unreasonable. And that's just a quick path to dehumanization. Like we see Joe Biden in a speech yesterday openly dehumanizing 47% of the country. He's openly saying, he's openly comparing that he believes or and his establishment believes that those who are against vaccine mandates are a virus themselves. He called them the pandemic of the unvaccinated. Like, I'm sorry, but libertarians who were pissed off about Holocaust comparisons six months ago, it's born fucking out. And to me, the idea of saying that, like, there can be a situation where, like, there's enough of a risk to justify any mandate, I, I hate to say it, Ron Swanson is a better libertarian than anybody who makes that fucking argument, because... The whole point of this country is if you want to eat garbage, balloon up to 600 pounds, and die of a heart attack at 43, you can, and you are free to do so. And to me, that's beautiful. Ron Swanson. Right. But I, <laughs> I, but the, the question is, like, you know, at what point does, like, someone else's behavior become a threat to yours? Well, in your even in your example, even in your example, like the pill that makes you magically immune. Okay, that means somebody who hasn't taken the pill who could be a carrier, they are no threat to the people who chose to do it. Right. If this vaccine was effective, if the vaccine was effective, you wouldn't need to mandate people to get the vaccine. You'd only have to fucking suggest it because anybody who got it wouldn't be at risk from those who didn't, and anybody who was at risk, it'd be by their own choice of not getting it. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely. I mean, that's kind of a, a Darwinist argument of like, yeah, well, if they're if they're too stupid to take the medication, let them die. <laughs> um, but I, I think there's also like, you know, it comes into like, okay, so if somebody's going to come within 15 feet of you and potentially kill you because you don't want to take the magic pill, um, like at what point do you get to say, well, he came with, he almost came within 15 feet, I get to shoot him. I don't um, know. We'd have to ask Chris know. Cantwell when he gets out of prison. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, I, I think that there's like. You know, is there, that the there new are like clip? Some... Is, is is social distancing the new paperclip? Um... So Chris Cantwell, that, that that when Chris Cantwell started to go on his radical agenda and radical downfall, what like uh -huh. what started it when when everyone first like started to think he was crazy was he went on his show and he made an argument that if somebody took his paperclip, he could kill them. Oh, wow! I mean, because it was theft. <laughs> I think in Texas, if that happens after after sundown, you can. 
<laughs> Only after sundown? No, I, Texas, Texas is always crazy. Let's talk about that. You so are are what what are your plans in the future? Like, are you gonna run for something in Texas again? Yeah, so well, I'm running for governor now. Um, but it's it, it has become like more about like pushing these these issues, like about fixing right. the healthcare system and, and these other things, because I think that's where we get more attention. And these things are like like one of the problems I see with the Libertarian Party is like we're like, hey, let's let's get more membership, right? And it's like people come along and they're like, Yeah, I want to legalize weed, and they're like, Yeah, we do too. You should join, you should come hang out at a convention. And it's like they get bored to death and they never come back. Um, and then they're like, you know, oh yeah, I want to legalize weed. And they're like, whoa, what you guys like guns too? Get out of here. But, you know, it's so, like we're trying to push the the whole platform down their throat and never even like opening up to like, you know, why we want to legalize weed because we see right. it as a human right. It's your pursuit of happiness. You should be able to smoke weed if you want. Um, in, instead of like, yeah, man, like, like, yeah, I just want to get high. That's cool. Like, or it's, it's, it's for, uh, it's, it's medicinal. It's good for health or, or we can raise so much money for the schools. Like those are like bullshit reasons when it's a human right. And like, that's what we should be teaching. And like, so there's, there's all these other cannabis organizations out there that are, you know, using the bad arguments. And like, so, so I'm like, I'm creating one that says like, no, it's a human right. And that's what we're pushing. And so in doing so, we get people on issues that they already care about, right? They want to legalize weed, especially in Texas. But then we teach them like a libertarian reason why instead of right. a, an authoritarian reason why. And so now like the, the hope is that, you know, we're not going to try to shove the whole platform down their throat, but they're going to stick with that. They're going to learn it. And as they start taking on that, that one little piece of like philosophy, they might start applying it to the rest of their life. And then they might start adopting some of the other, the other policies. And we can have some of those conversations, but we're not going to force the whole platform down their throat and say, well, if you want to hang out with us and legalize weed, you're going to have to like believe in all this other stuff too. Like that's not there. So I, I really think that's the way forward. And, and um, you know, this is we're, we're building the big experiment right now to see how well it works. Um, but hopefully it takes off. And, and, you know, like I said, like I said earlier, let's decentralize, let's try different things and see what works. You know, maybe I'll get the support of a lot of people from with other, from other parts of the liber Liberty movement, um, to try to help support this and make this grow across the country. So you're running for governor in Texas, so you're not going to be able to avoid this. And this is one of the things that I, I've had a big problem with the Libertarian Party nationally in the past year and a half. And I think most of the Mises Caucus and a lot of other membership has had a problem with the Libertarian Party in the past year and a half. Is that like since COVID started, the Libertarian Party hasn't said shit about COVID until very recently. If you want to be heard, you have to make sure you're talking about things that are relevant and things people care about. So to your point of like finding marijuana activists and talking to them about marijuana and the principles behind it and having the full conversation, you also have to make sure you have a presence on the issues that are in the news cycle, because that's what the larger population is going to be looking at. And unfortunately, an issue that libertarians writ large have done their goddamn best to avoid ever talking about is now the number one issue in Texas. Um, what what are your positions yeah. and opinions on the new abortion laws in Texas? So this is, you know, a lot of this is whenever I was running for president, I was like, people would always just come like, whoa, what's your, what's your, like, you know, we'll be talking about anything. And they're like, so what's your opinion on abortion? Um, <laughs> and, and so this is, this is the other thing. Like when people ask that question, what they're trying to just put you in a box, do I love you right. or do I hate you? Right. Are you pro-life or pro-choice? Um, and, and, and they would press that. Oh, well, so are you pro-life or pro-choice? And I would always say neither. Um, because it's, it's a false dichotomy. It's, it's like, you know, it's trying to, it's trying to divide us instead of saying, okay, let's, let's actually sit down and have a conversation about this. Right. Um, 
the ultimate goal for most people, I think, is um, is murder is wrong and let's reduce the number of abortions. But at the same time, let's not control people's lives and tell them what to do. So so what what is actually going on here? What is abortion? Right. Um, is it murder? Well, the pro-choice people say it's not murder. So if you ask them, is murder wrong? They'll usually say, yeah, murder is wrong, but they don't see this as murder. OK, so we so like, OK, let's understand that that's really where a lot of this conversation is happening. Right. Is that murder? Is it not? Now, this is this is where that gets interesting, um, because if you kill a 40 uh, year old person or a 50 year old person or a 60 year old person, there's no special law for that. Right. It's just murder. Right. And in right. fact, if you were to get rid of all the laws on murder, a prosecutor would say this person killed that person intentionally on purpose. They would put it in front of a jury. And then you'd use common law to say what this person did was murder. And the jury would decide whether or not this person should be punished for his crime, whether he's going to be hung or whether he's going to be thrown in a cage. Um, that's up to the jury. Now, if you were to do that same thing and say this person murdered a baby and you try to you try to make your argument in front of a jury, you're going to see that jury divided in half because half of them are pro-choice, half of them are pro-life. And so what's what's actually going to happen there? Because ultimately, if we want to say, OK, look, like government shouldn't we shouldn't have politicians making these decisions. We shouldn't have X, Y, Z making these decisions. It's it's you know, it's it's murder. If so, then what that means really is. If, if that is murder, half of the population doesn't think it's murder. And if it isn't murder, half the population thinks it is murder. So don't we have a problem with our society, we're like we're completely divided on on being able to figure out whether or not something is murder, and maybe we should have that conversation and figure that out instead of just trying to say, "Well, I'm on this side, and that's going to be the law, and anybody who opposes me is, you know, we're going to shoot at you, we're going to steal your money, we're going to do, we're going to throw you in a cage," which is the government solution. That's the only right. thing they know how to do because um, they can't actually like they can make it illegal, but they can't actually stop it. Um, they can take well, your Texas money. Texas went a step further. Texas, Texas not only made it illegal, Texas put a bounty on anybody to report it. Like, I mean, the IRS does that too. Um, it, it's, you know, every once in a while you see, you see that, like, you know, what is it? The crime stoppers hotline, you know, well, there's, I, I guess they're, they're probably not doing bounties, but, um, yeah, like, I think it's I, a $10,000 bounty. If you report a doctor performing abortions. Yeah. And it's. I mean, it, like, I mean, where, where are they getting the money? <laughs> they're stealing it from somebody else, right? This, um, what this are they going to do with the doctor when they find him? They're going to throw him in a cage. What, but, but, like, but here's the other thing too. And I get it. Texas is huge, and it takes like forever to drive across it. But you can you can drive outside of Texas and get your abortion in Oklahoma or or Mexico or like wherever you want to do it, and come back to Texas, and it's like, hey, like nobody's going to jail. So what did you really prevent? What did you really stop? You didn't stop abortions. You didn't reduce the number. Maybe you reduced the number a little bit. Cause like, so I, I look at it as like myself personally, I, I do hold more of a pro-life philosophy where I very much want to reduce the number of abortions. And I think that an abortion is a tragic scenario to happen, but I recognize that it is largely a choice that can't let nobody else should have the ability to stop with the force of law, like, because like putting someone in a cage, isn't going to stop new abortions. Um, or, like punishing a woman for having an abortion, isn't going to do justice for any injustice that might have been done. Um, ultimately it's the problem of prohibition. 
you're not going to stop abortions. You're just going to make them less safe and harder to get. And right. to me, I want to reduce the number of abortions, but at the same time, in order to reduce them, I think we need to make the ones that are happening as safe and as readily accessible as possible. And so removing the restrictions on abortion and taking the pro-choice stance there makes the most sense if we can do something like reform the adoption system, make it easier to adopt, make it less financially harmful for someone to have a child, uh, increase the ability of, for young couples to be able to live off a single income so somebody can stay home and not have to incur child expenses. Like There's a lot of things that are wrong with our culture and our country today, especially economically, that I think are leading to the increase in the number of abortions because young women are getting pregnant, evaluating their economic situation with their family and saying, I just can't do it. Yeah. But I, I was forced to take an abortion position. I, I wasn't forced. When I ran for Congress in 2018, I thought it'd be an opportunity to make the reform in the adoption system approach because I was running against an adoption attorney. <laughs> and I like to point out, like, the fact that you have a job is why we have abortions. Like, if, if, if there wasn't an attorney required to adopt, if a middle-class couple that wanted to adopt but couldn't have kids of their own were able to simply go and adopt a child, maybe these young expecting mothers who are terrified of their economic prospects and their ability to take care of that child wouldn't feel pressured to have an abortion if there was an alternative where they could give birth to the child and somebody else could raise the child lovingly. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of that, um, a lot of that pressure. I mean, like, it, fundamentally, we could talk about how, you know, society alone says like, oh, you, you have to like, if like, you are an absolute failure if you don't have some sort of like job and house and shelter and like all this other stuff. When, you know, this is like, this is like what they have drawn as the poverty line, right? And like, to be poor is shameful, right? These, these are kind of the things. And it's like, I've, met people who are like poor they don't have a lot but they're happy because like their their goal in life is not to like have the house and the family and the kids and like all this other stuff and what i think is interesting is like you don't like in mexico you don't see people saying like oh i'm too poor to have kids right like right. that's not a thing and 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 you know another big difference between the poor in the united states versus the poor in mexico the poor in the United States have a lot more, but their net worth is a lot less because they have all this extra debt. So their net worth is actually negative if you, if you consider the debt yep. versus Mexico. You don't have a lot of debt. You just don't have a lot of stuff. And it's like that like constant fear of like, oh, my God, I got to pay this credit card bill every month. And on top of that, I have to pay for this really expensive kid. Um, and then on top of that, I have to use like government regulate regulated, you know, whatever, uh, like like. We don't have we don't have reusable diapers in the U.S. anymore, right? Like it's all. And they're making a comeback. Really? The, all the, right. The, the thrifty hipster generation, my generation, is bringing a comeback to the poverty lifestyle. Um, nice. As most but exemplified I mean, like, as we were the generation that grew up with Chris Farley telling us that we were going to be failures if we lived in a van down by the river, and everyone's dream is to own a fucking van that they can drive yeah. down to the river and like live in, live in, hashtag van life is a thing now. Exactly. And I, but I mean, like, that's like, like, why was that? Why was that like shamified? Like, like that, that like basically I think is like 
you know, I don't want to say that's like that's the reason why I have we have abortions, but like I think that's like that is a big pressure that's put on society for like all these things. There's like a, like a long time ago, I was like reading about how like the 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 average age of a farmer in the United States is like 50 years old, and this was like 10 years ago, and they say it increases every year because like nobody. Like no kids are like, yeah, when I grow up, I want to be a farmer. No, it's like, oh, I need to move to the city and have a big fancy job and like all this and that. And so like people are trying to do that. And so, of course, you have you you have like nobody can get a job because none of those jobs are available because everybody's trying to get them. Meanwhile, like we have to outsource our farming to other countries because nobody wants to farm because that's that's like that's a job that's frowned upon. Oh, you're simple if you're a farmer. Oh, you're stupid. You never went to college and you couldn't get like a regular office. And it's like that's just total fucking bullshit because at the end of the day, if you got enough money, like why would you want to work at all? Fucking retire young, do a little bit of farming, grow your own food. And like that, like you get to a point where you're like, hey, that's actually not a bad idea. I'm poor. Like, okay, I got internet and Netflix, and you know, and I don't need like a whole lot of material shit. And it's like, that, like, bring that back. Um, but you know, like you said, there is like that that culture is starting to grow. But like, that has a lot to do with like a lot of the influences of how um, I guess how we how we kind of build our society and how we identify ourselves and the pressures that are put on everybody. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of it has to do with just the the growth of the like the. The difference in size in time between generations, like my generation versus our parents. Um, my parents' generation bred way beyond replacement. They had a lot of goddamn kids, but they also passed a whole bunch of zoning laws and restrictive laws to protect their property values. So now there's nowhere for their kids to live. Um, I, I think right. it, it comes up every few months where a post will circulate on social media about how like millennials are the first generation in recorded history to be worse off than their parents um, economically. Um, but we still, even then, even though we're the first generation to be worse off than our parents economically, we live in a society where absolute decadence is so normalized that we use the word vanilla to describe plain. Uh, whereas like historically vanilla is the most expensive spice on the planet and like the most difficult to attain spice on the planet. And it used to cost an absolute fortune. Um, like Kings would send expeditions to the mountains to get ice and spend mountains of gold on vanilla to have this decadence called ice cream that we get at seven 11 for a dollar. Um, it's right. just mind blowing that like we do live in a time and, where the poorest among us is still amongst the best off 1% of humans in history. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting Man. philosophical note to leave on, but <laughs> we are at yeah. our hour. Uh, this has been a great conversation, great spending conversation. Um, let people know where they can follow you and follow up and learn more about your campaign for governor. Yeah. So uh, head over to danforfreedom.com. Um, I have links to all my social media pages over there. I haven't been spending a whole lot of time on Facebook. Much like the other social platforms, they suck, but Facebook sucks the worst. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, I've been spending more time on Twitter lately. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, and, and then also check out taxationstuff.info. There's a lot of information there. Uh, one of the things I like to do is inform people about how they don't have to uh, pay the income tax. There's actually ways to get out of that, get out of doing that. Um, and, uh, that's, that's kind of a really fun hobby if you're, if you're interested <laughs> in paying taxes. Um, 
and uh yeah so so um that's that's pretty much yeah all right well it has been an absolute pleasure having you on until next time be free everybody Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to catch more, make sure to hit that subscribe button right now and turn on notifications for future episodes. You can follow me directly on Twitter at O'Donnell, the number 4NH, to keep up to date with what I'm working on. And if you want to be among the first to support this channel, check out our Patreon link in the description. And as always, don't forget to head on over to SnackSwag.com to get your freshest Liberty Swag today. Until next time, be free everybody. 